Hey, thanks again for being here. Um, again, I say this every time I stand up here this year, and it is a real encouragement to me that so many guys are here, especially at this time of year. It's more comfortable to sleep in. It's more comfortable to lay there. But um, it blesses me and the rest of the elders that you guys would get here. So thanks for being here. Thanks for getting here. It's part of God's design of how we care for one another, that we be next to one another and we talk with one another. So I'm very thankful for that. Let's pray and we'll get started and then we'll talk about our heart. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you that you have brought us here safely. Lord, I thank you that you gave us a night of rest. I thank you that you have created us to need one another and you've created us to need you. Lord, you are a good, good God. Praise you and thank you for that. Lord, I pray that today as we spend time together, that each of us individually and the body of Christ corporately would be well served by our interactions with one another. Lord, I pray that we would be men who listen well to one another and who share well with one another, that we observe well, and Lord, our our comments to one another, our conversation with one another is aimed at, at one thing, and that's making much of you in this body of Christ that you've saved us into. So I pray for our time. Lord, we need your help to do that by ourselves. We can't do that very well at all. So we give ourselves to you. We give you this time that it would be pleasing to you, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your notebook, let's do what we always do and look at the backside of this. We're going to talk about disciplines 1 through 6 again, and hopefully we'll be looking at the same thing from a slightly different perspective. So last time, about a month ago, we we spent some time talking about listening to ourselves versus shepherding our hearts. And if there's anybody in this room who's really good and really inclined to listen to themselves, it's me. I can apply my own worldview to the things that are going on in my life, and um, I know what that does. Um, When a person listens to themselves, he does something that that is, is very significant, and that is that... He starts to set himself and his own worldview and his own thoughts, his own ideas of what is right and what is good above what God has said is right and what is good. And he becomes very, very confident in himself. He becomes set in what he's going to do. He becomes wise in his own eyes. And um, I'm speaking to you as one who knows what that's like. Um, and we have expectations when we start listening to ourselves. We, we we see the world around us, and we see the things that are happening, and we want to, um, we have a design for how things will go, and we expect things to work our way. And But we know that God always is working on his plan A. God never has a plan B. He has plan A, and plan A doesn't always line up with our plan A sometimes. And if we're the one who continues to listen to ourselves and listen to ourselves and listen to ourselves. Um, when we see God's plan A working out and it doesn't line up with what our expectations are, we find ourselves giving in to disappointment, and the disappointment leads to a discontentment and a discouragement. And uh, we have a choice at that point, and we have a choice to do one of two things. We can stop and we can remind ourselves who we are in Christ, and we can remind ourselves of the gospel that actually saved us and made us into someone who is different and who is new from the different kind of person we used to be. Or we could continue to wallow in our own objectives and our own thoughts. And those kinds of things lead to a prayerlessness, an emptiness. They lead to an indifference. 
something that happens in my life when I listen to myself is I, I start to lack discernment. I can't see a situation and understand it rightly when it's in front of me. The more I listen to myself, the more it's difficult for me to see things clearly. And when I see things poorly and clear, unclearly, I, I tend to make very bad choices and bad choices that lead me to sinful interaction with other people. So when I make that choice, it's really harmful to the body of Christ, it's harmful to myself, it's harmful to those around me. That's why it's so important for us to shepherd our hearts, because God has made us into the kind of people who as believers are not led and bound and held fast by sin. And he's given us the opportunity to do that in a very specific way, and that's by remembering the gospel that saved us. The first thing I need to remember when I find myself listening to myself is I need to admit to myself that I'm lying to myself because my own heart, as Jeremiah 17 tells me, is deceitful above all other things. It's desperately sick. It's the kind of thing that is very, very cunning at deceiving me and the kind of person I am. So I need to tell myself that my own words and my own thoughts are very deceptive unless I align them under God's word. I need to remind myself of who I am in Christ. My identity in Christ is one who can think rightly, who can perceive the world around me rightly when I line myself up under the gospel. I need to remember what Christ did to save me from my sin, that he actually took all of God's fury against me on himself, and he satisfied God's anger against me on the cross. That gives me a humility that reminds me that I'm not wise in my own eyes. My my decisions are going to be poor. I need to remember that in God's wisdom, he saved me from myself. And all of that works really, really well when I remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus was raised from the dead, he did something that, that I could never do, and he actually freed me from sin's rule and sin's power over my life. And that is really, really liberating. It helps me understand that whenever there is a sinful choice in front of me, God always has a back door behind me, and that is a way of escape from a sinful choice and a sinful situation. And when I'm abiding with Christ and when I'm shepherding my heart well, my heart wants to run through that back door and run into a sanctuary of fellowship with God. So what happens then is, is I find encouragement in God's design for me. When I see plan A of God being worked out, instead of being discouraged that it wasn't what my agenda had in mind, it's encouraging to know and remind myself that I'm actually on the path that God wants me on, not the path that I want myself on. And that's when I remember how dependent I am on his grace to actually walk in the works that he has prepared for me. Um, because I can walk in my own works and make a mess of my life, but if I want to walk in the works that God has for me, um, I need his grace to do that, to do it well. Um, and the first work that he has for me um, is in my own home. That's the second discipline. And the, the reason why it's so important to prepare our own hearts is because the people that we live with are in the same condition that we are. The people that we live with are the kind of people that have to make the same decision we have to make as to whether or not we're going to listen to ourselves, we're going to listen to God's Word and the truth from God's Word. And so when we're guys who've shepherded our own hearts and we're actually demonstrating to those around us what it looks like to abide well with Christ and to walk well in His plan that He has designed for us, not to become discouraged or disturbed or bothered or discontent when our plan doesn't work out, we find joy in God's plan, even though it's not what we expected. That can be an encouragement to those around us. It can be an encouragement to a roommate who has a similar situation in their life. Whether it's a job opportunity that didn't pan out, whether it's a health situation that isn't working very well, or 
a family situation that's pretty messed up, not of their own doing, when they watch us shepherd our own heart well, they watch us recognize that the gospel is powerful in our lives, that's an encouragement to them. It's encouragement to our wives when plan A doesn't always work out for our our wives when they, they get up in the morning. They have a plan of what they'd like to do today, and if you have young kids, that doesn't always happen. And so when our wives are watching us work well with God's plan for our lives, they find encouragement in the things they have in front of them. When they see us shepherding our heart well, setting a pattern of doing that consistently, that's an encouragement to them to do that consistently because it's our role as men to be the leaders in our homes. When we have kids who believe they have plans and they have objectives, and those objectives and plans aren't always met because they're not God's plan for their life often. But when they watch us do what we've been talking about, they actually learn from us. They can learn how to do this. They can learn to make wise choices. They can learn to run away from their own confidence in themselves, which is what makes them wise and good. So shepherding our own heart in our own private time is so essential to how we function in our own home, and it's essential for the people around us. It's essential for our roommates. It's essential for our wives. It's essential for our kids. It's essential for our parents. I had a chance to interact with my own parents in the last couple of weeks. I went up to Denver and visited with them. And I had an opportunity to demonstrate to them what it's like to live well under God's plan A, even when my plan wasn't in alignment with God's plan. And I hope that by God's grace I did that well and that was an encouragement to them. I don't know. I'll have to find out the next time I see them. Our third discipline is our ministry. And if there's ever a place in your Christian life where you have plans, it's in ministry. You've got a small group and you've got a course of study that you're working through or you're working through discussing the most recent sermon or you're working through a book that everybody's reading. And you have your thoughts and plans on how you'd like your small group to go. You have thoughts and plans on how you would like your interaction with the other people in your small group to go. Whatever ministry it is, you have thoughts and plans on how you'd like your your Sunday school lesson to go in Next Generation Ministries. And God has a plan A, and um, sometimes God's plan A isn't what we've imagined or what we've prepared for. So if there's ever a place where you need to be one who's content with what God is doing and what He is doing, and you're ready to submit yourself to God's intent and God's design, it's in ministry because we don't know what God has in plan for us. So shepherding our own hearts in our private devotional life is very essential to be an effective leader in ministry because God has a plan and a purpose. We don't necessarily know what it is when we walk through the door of that house that hosts our small group or when we walk into that NGM classroom. We don't know what kind of kids are going to be there that week. But the Lord brings them, and they may be consistent with our expectations, and they may not. But we function well when we've prepared our hearts well and understanding that God has a design. And when we're listening to him instead of ourselves, we're ready. Our fourth qualification, um, or our fourth discipline, is the qualifications, or the deacon qualifications. And again, they're found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And it talks about a man who is not double-tongued. It's talking about a man who is a man of dignity. He's a man who's not given to much wine, and he's not fond of sordid gain. Think about the implications that discouragement and discontent have. If you allow those to grow in your life, 
Think about the implications of those things on your ability to be a man who's not double-tongued. Think about how easy it is if you're very dissatisfied with something and you've been dissatisfied with something because you've been listening to yourself. How easy it is to speak in a manner that's inconsistent, to have two messages. Have an outward message and then have an inward message in, in your more private life in your home or something like that. Think about what bearing discontentment has on being fond for sordid gain. If you're discontent with something, if there's something that you expected in your life, you had planned for, you had worked very hard for, even in a godly way, you've been diligent, and that wasn't what the Lord had for you, and you weren't accepting that, being fond of sordid gain is going to be a real challenge for you. Not being fond of sordid gain is going to be a challenge for you. Think about discontentment in terms of being fond of or being given to much wine. Think about what a growing discontentment does in your ability not to be a man who's given to much wine. Think about what it is to be a man who's a good manager of his own home. If there is discontent, if there's dissatisfaction with how things are working in your home because it's not what you had envisioned, Think about what effect a growing discontentment has on your ability to be a good manager of your own home. So it's so important that we shepherd our own hearts because the shepherding of our hearts actually makes us men who are more and more qualified in all of those areas. Our fifth discipline is the hermeneutic. And I've shared this maybe once or twice before. There's, there's a quiet man. There's a man who's not spoken of a lot in the Old Testament. Um, his name is Ezra. He was, he was a scholar. He studied the word. He studied the word well, but then what he did was he practiced the word so that the word was ready in his own life. And he did those two things before he taught the word. He was a guy who understood that it was really, really important to not only have a good grasp on the word and to grow in his understanding of his word, but he practiced it in his own life before he preached it to those around him. See that in Ezra chapter 7. He's a man who studied and prepared himself and then he practiced it, and then he preached it. That's what we want to be here at Grace. We want to be men who become more and more equipped. We have H3. We have Grace Bible Institute that comes after that. Um, We want to make sure that when we do that, we we equip men well for ministry here at this church. But we want to make sure that when we do that, we're, we're continuing to put right in front of guys the importance of shepherding your own heart. I had a conversation with somebody this morning about that, how important it is to as you move along in your study of God's Word, to never lose sight of the fact that you need to shepherd your heart because your teaching will become less and less effective as you become less and less one who shepherds his own heart. So that's the fifth discipline. and The last discipline is the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church, why we're here. We are here, we draw one another in together so that we can be guys who build one another up and send one another out. We've done that recently to the team we sent to PNG in November. But the way that we build one another up is by causing the growth within one another. Each one is functioning rightly according to the part and the the design that God has for the body. So even that requires us to be shepherding our own hearts. Ephesians 4.16 tells us that the body causes the growth of the body, and, and we're ready to cause the growth of the body when we have shepherded our hearts well and we enter into conversations with guys having shepherded our hearts well. So that is what we're all about here at Grace Bible Church. Thanks again for coming. Um, I want to just thank you, Scott, for 
taken last lesson and helping us think about its impact on all of the disciplines. Um, so if you weren't here at the uh, last one we did in December, um, when Tom taught, um, there are extra handouts in one of the boxes back on the table. You can get one of those or just and go online and listen uh, because listening to yourself versus telling yourself the truth is, is, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the most key foundational uh, ways of really growing as a Christian and, or becoming really frustrated in your growth as a Christian because you don't realize you're just listening to yourself tell yourself lies all the time about why you deserve something better, why this, this shouldn't be happening, why that person is... You can just listen to all kinds of stuff going on in your head and you need to start talking to yourself about um, with truth what, what, what you really deserve and um, the way to view things rightly. So Scott, thanks for that. That's really helpful. Um, before we go into our, our uh, discussion group time, um, I got uh, just a couple of announcements that... Um, Service opportunities that I want to put in front of you again that I put in front of you with the email that I sent out to you. Um, uh, Frontlines is our greeting ministry, and it also takes care of our communion um, on Sundays. What that means is um, we, we have a, a, a group of men who help pass the trays down the aisles and, and pass the baskets to collect the cups and stuff. Um, that, that ministry could use a few more hands. It's probably a, a once a month rotation, I think Matt said. And, um, so, uh, if you're able to come and, and think about it, um, I like to think about Sunday mornings as, um, like a living room, your living room. It, it would be really odd if somebody walked into your house and nobody talked to them and they were they just sat down and they just kind of saw movement the family's moving about and yet there there they are just sitting there and um that would be tragic that that would be embarrassing it would be shameful wouldn't it if that happened in your home well our sunday mornings are our times to be watching for people coming into our our family our church family and the, the easy thing to do in your mind is to think, well, well, there's so many others of us here. Somebody's got it. Somebody's got that taken care of. And it's all of our responsibilities when, when people come in, whether they are new or whether they're people have been there, but, but to greet one another and to care for each other. It's all of our responsibility. But we, we have a ministry, Frontlines, that is, per, is particularly their responsibility. Uh, they stand at the door, they hand out bulletins, and as they come in, you can just... Uh, it's not just merely handing out the bulletins and greeting somebody and smiling at them, but it's, it's caring for them and talking with them, helping them if they need help. So we could use a few more guys like that, and, and what a great place for men to lead, like you would lead in your home and do that. So please consider that rotation. Um, PowerPoint has need as well, and even if you know nothing about a laptop computer... Um, we can help you know about that. David Bauer Jr., who works back there uh, and trains the guys, and several of the guys here have done that before, he can, he can help you out. It's a matter of everything is done for you. You don't have to create the PowerPoint. You don't have to try to figure out what I'm saying and then put the outline up as I do it. I do all that. I give it to him, and it's just a matter of next slide. And he can show you how to do all of that. It's really easy. We can train you. If um, That's probably like a once-a-month rotation as well. And um, equipping our kids, I wanted to put before you, um, that's on Sunday nights in six-week blocks. It, um, 
I want you to think of serving and equipping our kids like it's one of the offerings. That's the way that we're trying to help you think about it. Um, so if you ever sign up for a Sunday night to come back, and by the way, I'd encourage you to do that. It's, it's been um, really encouraging to be in those courses. I've benefited from going and sitting in the parenting class. I'm going to go to the biblical manhood one that Scott's doing. And I've also served with the, um, John, what's that age group? The three, fours, fours, five, what is that? Three through five. That, hanging out with those little guys and girls and playing with Play-Doh, coloring pictures and playing with Legos and reading a Bible story with them, um, walking them down to the bathroom and back. That, that has been my most enjoyable experience so far in all of Equipping Hour. And you're missing out. Um, I know that may terrify you to think of having to do that. It is the most fun. Um, and it, and it, there's, your heart will warm for those little ones and the ways that you can communicate truth to them. And you can show them what kindness is and what love is um, and, and train them in simple ways and, and really bless a parent who knows that I can go to my class that I'm learning in and I can be built up and I can trust that my kid is, is being cared for and loved. That, that, that's a great opportunity to do that. Not to mention also just Next Generation Ministries on Sundays where we have um, a constant need because our children are just they're just growing. We're having more kids. And I've got two moms in my small group that are due in the same week in March. Um, and that's exciting. Is that right, Josh? Where's Josh? Is it in March? Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's exciting. Our church family is growing on that end. And that takes a mom and a dad out of serving sometimes. And it adds children to the ministry. So we need help there. Okay? Um, and I think that's it. All right. Before I start, let me pray. And uh, we will uh, dive in to uh, Discipline 2. Father, I just come to you, Lord, and I just ask that you would allow your spirit to direct my words. Father, I pray what comes out of my mouth would be helpful for my dear brothers, and most of all, that it would bring you glory. Father, I just praise you for the perfect provision of a Savior, your Son. Father, the only reason that a group of men would be here on an early Saturday morning is because of our unity surrounding what your son has accomplished. Father, again, Lord, I I just ask that you would be pleased with the words that I speak. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Now, jumping into D2... Uh, there is uh, probably a good starting place is James chapter 1 verse 22 you're very familiar with it do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself but do what it says Uh, the message I'm bringing to you today uh, is probably about a 30,000 foot flyover on marriage I I hope it is not so high that it's not practical but it started with uh, about a 55,000 square uh, height uh, altitude and I shrunk it a bit but uh, what I'm bringing to you today 
is 35 imperatives from Scripture about being a husband. And I realize there are several single guys here, and, and what I'm going to say before I teach this lesson, if you are not applying these things today in your life as a single man, chances are slim that you're going to hit the ground running when you are married. We're talking about disciplines that, that are, are built, that are, are just fed by, going back to discipline one, by your knowledge of God's word. Most of you will be familiar with the 35 commands from Scripture that I bring to you today. Uh, but I can tell you every point I am making is things that I have discerned in my own life or just sitting with friends as we talk about life and talk about our, our battle with sin or in, even in a counseling setting. Uh, Many of these things are not going to be foreign, uh, but maybe perhaps many of them you just never thought about in the context of marriage. Uh, there, there's one supposition that needs to be made, though, before we speak, before I start to speak, and it's this. I believe that Scripture addresses, provides direction and correction for every problem, for every every issue, and every sin. There's no need to look anywhere else for what it needs to be a husband than God's word. What it means to be a godly man than God's word. Scripture addresses every issue. That is the premise that I am teaching from. That is the premise that the, the elders of this church hold to. And I pray, as you consider your own walk as men, as husbands, that you would be convinced from Scripture that it is sufficient for life and for godliness. The, the only way you can talk about D2 is with a firm understanding of D1. We, you just can't jump into what it is to be a godly husband, to be a godly man, without just understanding the importance. It starts with you and God's word. So as I prepare, let's uh, go to the overarching New Testament teaching passage in the New Testament, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I am going to uh, start in verse 25 and read through the to the end of the chapter. So Ephesians 5, starting in 25. Uh, Forgive me, I I read from the NIV, and some will call it the nearly inspired, and I realize uh, it may be hard for you to follow, so, so bear with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water, through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body 
but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is profound mystery that I am talking about, Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That is, if you ask somebody uh, what does Scripture say about a husband loving his wife, uh, inevitably that is where they're going to go. That's what the verse they're going to use. And I intend today to make it much broader that you may think uh, much more about Scripture as you think about your marriage. Uh, Everybody got an outline, I hope, and we're going to start in point one, and it says the husband is to initiate and maintain love for his wife in the same way Christ initiates and maintains love for his church. As I am going through the lesson, if you have a question, don't hesitate to raise your hand. Uh, if you don't understand what I'm trying to say or maybe how it could be applied, uh, so please don't don't hesitate to stop me as we as we work through this. You know, it's our role as husband to initiate and maintain the oneness that there is between a husband and wife, a oneness that comes in, in prayer. Uh, it, it's initiating and maintaining just dealing with issues or concerns that may come up. Uh, it is so easy in our flesh just to sit back and case sarah, sarah, and do nothing about it. But God's design is that we address it uh, and that we take the lead in this. And that doesn't mean that every time we have to be the one to, to initiate it, we need to allow our wives as well space, but the bottom line is we are responsible for this oneness that a husband and a wife are to have. And where I have seen this fail, not just in my own life, but in, in friends that I've sat and we've talked through, it's this. It's a, it's a lack of humility and it's pride. It, it, is, a, it is prideful when, when I do not lead my, my wife in prayer. It, it is my pride because I don't want to the discomfort of a difficult conversation about a topic. It's my pride that will force me or prevent me from bringing up a topic. But guys, in the same way that Christ does, we are to be in the ones initiating prayer and just how we deal with things. There's an imperative, first imperative from Scripture, and it's Ephesians 5.25. We just read it, but I'll read it again. Husband, love, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The idea of maintaining the love for your wife in the same way as Christ. Uh, you know, there's times when our spouses may not do things the way that we may do it. And we need to be sensitive that they're different. We, we didn't marry clones. But so often it's our pride that will prevent us from allowing our wife to do something different. Sometimes it's, you know, 
a husband can have an attitude. It's my way or the highway. We need to do it my way. We need to be sensitive to our wives. That they are individuals as well, and we need to be fostering an attitude in the, the oneness that we have in our relationship. Point A is, our, is you are to love her in the same way Christ loved the church. Uh, because this message got so big, there'll be times where you'll see underlining and the words already filled in. I wanted you guys to have some of the work already done for you because uh, I'm hoping that this will be uh, something practical instead of having you continue to be writing. But the, the goal is for us, we initiate and we maintain in the same way that Christ does. Uh, point one is by making Christ's example of love your standard. And that brings us to imperative number two, and that's John fifteen twelve. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Scripture not only commands us to love, but Scripture sets a standard for that love. Uh, Perhaps maybe you've never looked at a verse like John fifteen twelve and looked at it as a marriage verse. But, but the command is, you love your wife in the same way that Christ loved you, loves you. And, you know, a picture of that is, is Romans 8, 35, 38, and 39. And I'll read it because it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And it says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels, rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, heights, depths, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's talking about this oneness. But but think about it, guys. And I realize... Single guys, you may not have a grid for this. But what is it about us that sometimes we are separated from our wives? We, we just kind of remove ourselves. That, that's not the picture of what our Lord does. When we sin, God's promise here is that he's not going to separate himself from us. But I know too often from people I talk to as... I talk to friends, I do counseling. Uh, so often, guys are quick to separate themselves from their spouse when they're displeased with something or something's even uncomfortable. So, again, the imperative is in the same way that Christ loves us, we are to love our spouses. Point B, you must follow Christ as a, a role model. Yeah, this is interesting. I, I and I'm sure some of you would say this. I've talked to numerous guys that will lament, you know, well, gosh, you know, the, the way I am as a husband, this is what I watched my father do. Uh, you know, Christ is our role model. Our earthly father, uh, there may be good things to, to be an example of, but there might be bad things. But God, and it goes back to God's word is sufficient for every issue, for every problem, for all sin. Uh, you know, I, I've sat with, with guys who uh, will say, well, what I learned from my dad is, you know, gosh, there would be days and weeks where they wouldn't even talk. My dad wouldn't even talk. Uh, again, if you're looking at your 
your role as husband, you need to realize what Jesus' role model was, not what you experienced in your home. I've sat with people that have a hard time ever seeking forgiveness when they sin against another, and but I've never saw my parents forgive each other. That's not the point. Jesus sets the standard. And praise God, His Word is very clear. Uh, we are called to set aside the focus of giving primarily to ourselves. You are to turn away from your selfishness, control and manipulation, self-gratification, self-absorption. And, and let me just kind of walk through what I have seen, what, what those uh, that could look like, the selfishness. It's with the husband that wants to get what he wants first. has to be your way for the family. It, it may be ignoring family to put yourself first. You know, I remember one man complained to me as I, as I was talking to him about his selfishness. And he said, so basically what you're saying, whatever my wife wants, she gets. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. But, but we're considerate to the others that we're around. And guys, if you're single, you know, you need to be practicing a selfless life as well. Uh, you're not all of a sudden going to get married and now I, okay, now I need not be selfish. No, this is a call for all Christians. Control and manipulation. Uh, Guys, this can be anywhere from how you raise your voice, uh, a tone, it could be words you use, can be controlling or can be manipulating, Uh, or you could think you're really being godly when you're given the silent treatment. Just withdraw and say nothing. That's not godly. That, that's not the way the Lord loves us. Self gratification uh, could be found. I'm sure the first thing you think of is, is probably pornography and masturbation and things like that. You know, but control, self gratification is in many other areas of marriage as well. It could be excessive and sinful behaviors. If you are doing excessive behaviors, you're you're basically just gratifying yourself. You know, if you are a type of guy that, that works an extreme number of hours, uh, it might be really easy to say, hey, I'm just trying to provide for my family. Uh, but the bottom line is, frequently, you might just be just trying to gratify yourself that people will think well of you. You're trying to be a people pleaser. Self-absorption. Uh, it, it's thinking that you're the most important person in your relationship. Other verses to consider, I didn't give them to you as imperatives, but 1 John 4, 7 through 21, 1 Peter 1, 22, Romans 12, 9, 9 through 10, 9 and 10, and Titus 3, 14. I realize as I go through this message at, at a high altitude, I, I hope you would use this as a resource. Uh, maybe to just look and check up on yourself. Maybe sitting with a friend, somebody from your small group. I, I, I hope that I designed this that you could just kind of walk through this and, and do a self-evaluation about how you're doing as a husband or as a man. Point number two is by initiating love for her in the same way that Christ initiated love for the believer. And that brings us to imperative number three. 
And that's First John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. If we are going to love our spouses in the same way that Christ loved us, it's not going to be based on what she has done for you, what she hasn't done. Uh, it's not based on performance. But we love first in the same way that Christ loved us. Because of God first loving us, it, it is to, for the believer, it transforms our will, it transforms our affections, and, and that is the fruit of the Spirit working in you, that you should be able to see and you have a desire to grow and that your will and your affections would be God-glorifying. Uh, point A under Section 2 is you should lead by being an example to your wife and to your children. And here's what I mean by that. It's you initiate love by example. Uh, by your own pursuit of God. You know, we talked, I was up in Scott's small group up here, and uh, one of the guys talked about just being the example of that his kids need to see him in God's word. Uh, that is a, a loving thing to do. You know, that you are teaching them the disciplines of a godly man when they, if you have daughters, you want your daughter looking for a man that is going to pursue God. And if you have sons, you want your son to be a man that pursues God. Uh, and your pursuit of the Lord can't be missing from what the, the view of your kids not only that, but it's, it's being an example in sacrificing, in, in serving others. It's being an example in decision-making or being transparent. Some of these things just start with us being a good listener when our wife speaks. Uh, if I don't listen to my wife, uh, you know, we were walking through a store. Her birthday's coming up. Oh, this is recorded. She can't listen. Anyway, her birthday's coming up in, uh, in four days. And uh, she was just walking by, and she made a comment about something in the store that, she, you know, someday I'd really like that. A wise man will listen to his wife and put that in a part of his brain that he can recall it. And, but we listen. And I think she's going to be shocked because I think she... She doesn't think I was really listening as we were walking through the store, but will she be surprised? Uh, but you know what? It starts with being a good, a good listener, though. Uh, it, it's being an example of someone that's forgiving or a man that seeks forgiveness when you sin. Uh, Guys, I know in my own life, I was, and you've heard this, I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old when I became a Christian, and the sanctification process was slow. So I know this is true about me, and I believe it's going to be true about some of you, but there's probably a, a chance that there are some here that have probably never sought forgiveness when they've sinned against their children or their spouse. Uh we need to be an example 
of being somebody that when we sin, whether it's speaking, responding in a harsh tone, it, it could be in responding in anger, whatever it might be, but we need to example what being a forgiver is and how to forgive and seeking forgiveness. Uh, be an example by not being somebody that holds a grudge. Uh, we're talking about, as a husband, being the one to initiate. E- even being the example of being a person that, that's grateful, that has gratitude. You know, if, if you look at your children and are disappointed because they just don't seem grateful, they may have learned it from us, man. Uh, I need to... My, my besetting sin is to be a grumbler, to be a complainer. And it is only the work of the Holy Spirit if you see anything that is grateful that comes out of me. Because that is not who I was before being saved. I, I was Debbie Downer. If you're old enough to remember you know, the whiners on Saturday Night Live, that was me. I, I, I was, you know, God designed us to be grateful. That gives him praise. That gives him glory and it gives him worship. Uh, I need to be an example of how I bring correction. I need to admonish in love. Uh, There are times and there will be times where correction needs to be brought to a situation. And I need to be an example of, of a godly means. That means I'm concerned more about your sanctification than me being disappointed or not getting my way. I I need to have God's view and God being sinned against more important than I've been sinned against. Uh, I need to be the type of man that will bring correction to bring those in my house, whether it be my wife or my kids, to bring them closer to the Lord. Not just to please me but their relationship with the Lord. Uh, Christ's love by continuing to initiate love, even if her response is negative or rejecting. Uh, You know what? It's just in the same way that Christ continues to love us when we rebel against him. Guys, I realize that... Our wives will not always respond perfectly textbook, uh, but that's not the point. Uh, God commands us to love even when we bring a difficult topic and we don't maybe like or expect the response that we might get. Uh, it, it's You believe the best. You believe the best about your wife or child if you're talking with kids that that once they think about it, they will see that maybe there's something needs to be changed. Hope that's clear. Uh, point three is uh, by loving and accepting her unconditionally in the same way Christ loves and accepts the believer without condition. Maybe you're starting to get the point that it's continually the same way. Uh, it's by design that way. That same way kind of looks like Romans 5.8. But God 
proves his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, It's in the same way. Even in the midst of being sinned against, we are to love. Point A, uh, you must give selflessly regardless of a response. Uh, When I think about being selflessly giving, it it reminds me of a couple that Ann and I met with years ago, and I know you'll never know these people, so and I've shared this before, but I remember they came in, they'd been married 25 years, and their bitterness and their hard-heartedness toward each other started, they got married on a Friday, and it started with an event that happened the Wednesday after they got married, and they carried it for 25 years. And uh, guys, we are to selflessly, regardless of how our wife responds, we forgive. Point B, you must love and accept her for who she is rather than demanding that she changes to please you. Uh, You know, often when a husband's not satisfied with who his wife is, I frequently see that it's the husband's care, lack of care, that is instrumental in making the wife that she's become. Guys, how you love your wife does impact the type of wife that you have. Uh, And I'm going to talk about it more, but it goes back to oneness. Uh, As we get further in the the message about the oneness that we are to have with our spouse, and when we allow things to, to break that oneness or get in the way of the oneness that God designed in marriage, uh, we frequently are the ones that create the wife that we end up with. And this brings us to imperative number four, and that's uh, Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to glorify God. I, I realize you guys probably all know that verse. You've read it before. You've read Romans. And you probably never thought of it in the context of marriage. But God's word calls us to accept our spouses. Uh, Brings us to point four. By dying daily to self-will and seeking God's will in the same way Christ did as a demonstration of his love and servant's heart. And point A, you should die to self-interest and self-protection. And, and the imperative from Scripture is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Again, this is probably not a passage that you ever thought that this is a marriage passage. But this is how God's telling us to live. And this has to impact Every relationship. If you're single, this has to. This verse has to impact you. If you're married, it has to impact you. That you're no longer living for yourself. Think about this. Your loving your wife is an act of worship to God and Savior. Think about it. How you love your wife is an act of worship. Think about what is best for your wife and your family. Um, you know, I, 
I want to just kind of step away a, a little bit, but it, this could be fellowship with believers. It could be your involvement in small group. It could be your wife's involvement in Wellspring, giving her time to do her homework if she's in Wellspring. Uh, men, we need to be those that care. If you're single, for the people around you, but we're talking about a marriage context. Guys, you, you need to be thoughtful about what you can do to make it easier or even an example for your wife to grow in godliness. Uh, for, for guys that are here with kids, it, it could be something as easy as making sure your, your wife has time to be reading, to be in God's word, that she has time for devotion and prayer. It, it's you being mindful and just, if she's got homework assignments, making sure that the kids are cared for so that she can do it. Uh, it's ultimately an act of worship to God. H- how we are presenting our brides, our wives to Christ, the same way he's presenting the church. Uh, there, there's so many practical things, guys, that we need to be looking for in our homes of, of how we can manifest this type of love that Scripture calls us to. Point B, you are willing to lay down your life for her if called to do so, which is the way Christ demonstrated love for the believer. And the picture of this is is the same way as Christ, is John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In in the picture, you see the the shepherd with the the sheep over the shoulders. He's carrying the load. You know, we are to shepherd well in our family. And sometimes it's carrying burdens. But the picture is the same way that Christ pursued us. In the same way that Christ is the good shepherd for us. Point C, you are to love her as much as you love yourself. You know, that brings us to imperative six. And and I just use Matthew 22.39. And 38 is just as important, but it starts with in 38, uh, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul. And the second command, Jesus responded to the question, what's the greatest command? The second command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, We're called to love. Scripture never calls us to love ourselves. Whatever the self-esteem movement might say, that you know you need to love yourself. Scripture never calls us to love ourselves, but Scripture does assume that we do love ourselves, and that is the pride and the lack of humility. Uh, but Scripture never tells you, "Oh, you need to love yourself," but it lets you know that you do think too highly of yourself. Uh, so, imperative number six is love your wife the same way you love yourself. Imperative seven is Ephesians five twenty-eight through thirty. And I'll read again. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. Again, it's the same way as Christ loves us. Point D, uh, you are to focus on her welfare, desires, well-being, as much as you focus on your own. 
Guys, this is, this is both spiritual as well as every other aspect of your wife's life. Uh, again, you and I need to be shepherds of our wives' hearts. We need to know what she's reading. Do you know what your wife's praying about? Uh, do you know what your wife's reading? Uh, you need to be focused. I need to be focused on my wife's well-being in her relationship with the Lord. You're just not two individual people living under one roof. Uh, God gave you a role that you are caring for your spouse in a very specific way when it comes to her relationship with the Lord. You know, again, you know, I'll ask, you know, do you help her to be freed up to develop relationship with other women? Do you help her to uh, be freed up to, to disciple other women or maybe be discipled? Do, do you have these conversations with your spouse? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody with a show of hands, but do you know what your wife is reading? Do you know what your wife is praying about? Men, let me say this. If, if you're sitting here today and you don't, can I encourage you to go and seek your wife's forgiveness? Can, can you go and, and as, as new as God's mercies are every morning, can you start over again tomorrow and care for your wife this way? And... and you know, for she doesn't think that you went to build and came back some freak. Uh, you, you're going to need to seek forgiveness for your shortcomings in the past where you have not cared for her spiritual well-being. This is a God-given role. Uh, point A. No, I'm not in point A. Sorry about that. Uh, it takes us, though, to imperative number eight, and that's Philippians 2.4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Again, if you're single here, this applies to, to all men. This applies to all of us. And I'm going to probably, I, I think that probably for a lot of you, you never looked at this verse in the context of marriage. But it's an imperative for, from Scripture. You are to look out not just for your own interest. You're to be looking out for your spouse's interest. Uh, and that brings us to point E, you are to protect her from hurt, harm, as much as you try to protect yourself. And guys, I know how well we can protect ourselves. You are to protect her in the same way. Uh, you know, you could be a protection by the entertainment that you allow in your house. I, I can remember, and, you know, and this is not... I'm not saying you can't watch football, but I remember sitting with a with a couple, and a how do I want to put this without being too graphic on on the recording? Uh, it, it was for one of those male enhancement uh, prescriptions, and their seven year old is asking them, "What does that mean, guys? We need to be protecting our family of what comes in, whether it be." whether it be on TV, whether it be on the radio. You, you can't even listen to the radio without hearing, at least to me, often offensive commercials. Guys, you are the gatekeeper of your, of your 
not just your wife, but your entire family. If you're here single, you, you need to be the gatekeeper of your friends and what comes into your house. Uh, but that, that is how, in the same way that our Lord protects us, in the same way we are to protect those that uh, we care for in our own home. And again, guys, this may be a new concept that you may be seeing that you have failed in this area. It'll start with seeking your spouse's forgiveness. If you're single, it might start with forgiving the guys that you live with or other family members that you live with. The best way to start a new habit, if you have missed the mark in loving this way, is to start by seeking forgiveness for not caring for others. That, that you live with, that you care for. Point F, you are to treat your wife as you desire to be treated. Uh, and that's imperative number nine. It's Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do in the same manner for them. And that sums up the entire law and the prophets. It sums up scripture. I'm going to probably bet that you never looked at Matthew seven twelve and thought of that as a marriage passage, but it's a command from Scripture. It, it is an imperative that God is giving us to be that type of man. Uh, point five, the husband is to be the servant of his wife in the same way as Christ loves his church. Your service to your wife is an outflow and evidence of your love. Uh, do you take responsibility for things around your house? Uh, does your wife need to nag you over and over? Do you, are you so irresponsible that you put her in a spot where she feels like she needs to nag at you to do something? Uh, biblical evidence, uh, biblical leadership is evidenced in your service to your wife and your family. Uh, not just in doing things around the house, but it's evidenced in, in how you lead spiritually. Guys, if you see a deficiency in how you have led in your home spiritually, again, I don't want to sound repetitive, but it will start with you seeking forgiveness from those that you have not led. And then God's mercies, you start. Uh, you know, I, I can remember, gosh, yeah, I can remember, I think my oldest was probably 13, when all of a sudden I had this epiphany that what spiritual leadership would look like in the house. And, uh, oh my, it, it probably would have gone over much better if I would have started with seeking forgiveness for all the years I did not do it, rather than sitting down with uh, a knowing God DVD by R.C. Sproul and say, okay, family, now we're going to go do this. Uh, it was like, what planet did Dad come from? Uh, but I was convicted that I needed to do something. But where I my error was is I didn't seek forgiveness for how I failed to do it. So if, if this is something that you want to start and you just don't know how to start, may I encourage you to start by seeking forgiveness? Uh, point C under five is your attitude is commanded to be the same as Christ who humbled himself by assuming the role of a slave. 
Do, do you think there's things around the house that are just above you? Do you, do you just think that you're just too good for some of the things that might need to be taken care of? And that brings us to imperative number 10, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Guys, if you're thinking that you are too good to do things around your house, you need to be humble. You you need to recognize you are to love your wife and to love your family and to love others in the same way that Jesus does. That brings us to imperative number 11, and that's uh, Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of rivalry. Rivalry or conceit, conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Guys, do you consider the other people that you live with to be more important than yourself? If you have failed in doing that, again, would you start with seeking forgiveness? Uh, Point six is the husband's foremost command is to love. Therefore, you must submit yourself to the term, terms which God defines as love in relationship to your wife. Uh, the foremost command is to love. And point A, Scripture records God's definition of love and the importance. And uh, you don't know how scary it is to teach on something that Scott's going to teach on tomorrow. Uh, but... Uh, you know, Philippians, uh, or I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 13 uh, takes us from imperative 12 to imperative 25 in these few verses. And uh, I know you're familiar with it. We're going to go quickly through the commands. But it, God, uh, in his word, he, he shows the, the for, it's the foremost command is to love. Uh, you must be patient. And, and here's what it looks like to be patient. Uh, you give up perceived rights. Uh, you may come home after a long day at work and a hard day at work and think that you have the right to having peace and quiet. Uh, you need to give up your perceived rights. It may not be what the Lord has for you today. Uh, you need to put your expectations in, in God and not the people that you live with. Uh, you need to put your your expectation in God to even endure hardship when you're faced with with hardship. You must being patient is is the must of resisting being judgmental, demanding, negative, critical. Uh, you must not be intimidating or focused on your spouse's sin or the other people that you live with sin. And the picture of that is Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and it's taking the log out of your own eye before you go to do spec surgery on others that are around you. Are, are you easily offended? We're called to be patient, and, and when we are not patient, typically what we'll find is that we're easily offended by others. 
We need to be patient by learning to be content with all trials and all difficulties. And, and the picture of that is Philippians 4.11. Uh, content in whatever the circumstances, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Uh, persevere with patience in the midst of tribulation. It's a biblical view of suffering. Do you, do you have a biblical view of suffering realizing that uh, we grow in the midst of our trials? Are you thankful for trials? God promises to use them for our benefit, to grow us. And, and guys, uh, husbands need to lead their wives, need to lead their families. Singles, you need to live lead the household that you are in uh, by exampling what it is to be content. Uh, if the picture of that is Romans 5.3. Uh, in the midst of affliction, hardship, uh, we persevere. Uh, Galatians 6.9, we don't grow weary in doing good. Uh, going back to your relationship with your spouse, uh, be content to allow God to pace your wife's spiritual growth rather than you trying to force her to change. Realizing that true spiritual growth is only going to come from God. Uh, I, I have sat with numerous frustrated uh, men who, who boldly sin against their wife and family uh, because they think they need to be the fourth person of the Trinity that causes growth in their wife. Uh, leave room for third person of the trinity to change your wife uh, be motivated by a desire to see your wife change for her sake rather than your own sake this goes back to the, the selfishness it's, it goes back to being content in the wife that God has given you when you pray for your wife do you pray for godly motivations or selfish motivations do you pray for her sanctification or do you pray for, for your pleasure and a couple of verses that picture that is Psalm 66, 18, Proverbs 16, 29. Uh, next point is you must be kind. Seek opportunities to show kindness. Uh, a verse to consider is Ephesians 4, 32. Uh, and I know I said this last time I was here speaking about kindness. Uh, we know from Scripture that it is kindness. God uses kindness to lead to repentance. If you desire to see change in your wife, uh, if you desire to see repentance in your wife, kindness is what led us to repentance. Kindness was what leads our spouses to repentance. And God may use you as an instrument of that kindness. The man that is easily offended... Uh, has a very difficult time showing kindness. First <clears throat> uh, Peter three seven. We're going to touch on that again in a little bit. But husbands, in the same way, live with your wife in an understanding way. Uh, their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Uh, going to talk more about that when we get. Uh, toward the end of the le- this message, but uh, you're not to be jealous or envious, uh, not possessive or controlling. Uh, 
if your wife's priorities are wrong or people around you, their priorities are wrong, you know, help them uh, reorder what the priorities should be in a loving way. Be content and thankful whatever the circumstance the Lord has for you. Uh, not being jealous or envious, you know, no lust for other women. Be committed to renewing your mind. Uh, with, you know, renew your mind with, with Scripture and what godly traits are for a man. Do not be boastful or arrogant. Do you, do you behave like you think you're superior to your spouse? Do you try to control your wife with logical thoughts? Do you put her down? Do you insult her to make yourself feel big? Uh, don't be rude. Being sarcastic or coarse, hurtful speech. Do you treat your wife as an inferior person? You know, First Peter three seven I just read, you know, tells us our wife is a co heir in the relationship with the Lord. Our our church's uh, conviction is that we are equal with different roles. Do you, do you truly see your wife as a co heir, or do you think that you are something that is is above your wife? Another verse to consider there is Colossians three nineteen. If you want to make a note of that if I didn't give it to you. Uh, you need to realize that in being a co-heir, your wife was created as you were in the image of God. That's Genesis one twenty-seven, Romans 12.10. Uh, you must not speak unwholesome words. And again, guys, this could be what we allow into our home uh, through TV or whatever other source. Uh, you know, we're not big TV watchers, but it's rarely a time when it's rare that you aren't sitting there through a commercial that just really isn't offensive. We need to be the gatekeeper of, of what comes into our house. Uh, just because you might not be speaking vulgarly, uh, I would say don't overlook what you allow to come into your house. Uh, do not be self-seeking. Love is not selfish. And again, that's Second Corinthians five fourteen, that uh, we don't live for ourselves, but we live for the one that has died for us. Uh, do not be easily angered, not physically or emotionally. Do not physically or emotionally harm your wife. Forgive her. Respond gently when sinned against. It's a picture of. Uh, Proverbs 15.1, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Even when you do not like the response that maybe the people you live with or your spouse uh, may have, uh, it's a gentle answer that would be a godly communication. This is huge, guys. And maybe it's huge because it's something I struggle with. Uh, but maybe some of you are the same. It's keep no wrong, record of wrongs. Don't carry a grudge. Don't repay evil for evil. Well, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do that. Uh, forgive all transgressions, just in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. Guys, if you have been offensive or you've offended your wife, seek forgiveness. Start fresh. Uh, 
You know, if you've been convicted by anything in this message, I, I pray that you would have a conversation with your wife or those that you live with that, that you can start afresh. Do not delight in evil. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit quicker, but that's simple. You know, don't delight in evil. Engage in lust, sinful activities. Uh, don't in, in influence your wife to engage in activities that don't glorify God. First Corinthians 13 tells us to, to bear all things. You must protect your wife. It, it's a, the Christ example is seen in Hebrews 13.5. Uh, also, Romans 8, 35, 38, and 39 about not being separated. There's nothing that's going to separate us uh, from the love of the Lord. In the same way, we are to bear all things. We are to believe all things. You, you put on the best interpretation. If something, your wife does something or somebody in your house does something, uh, put the best spin on it instead of always putting a negative spin on it. That you meant you when you said this, you or when you gave me that look, you meant it for bad, for evil. Uh, believe the best thing about your spouse. You hope all thing, things. Don't set your spouse up to fail. You you hope the best for her. You want the best for her. And uh, don't habitually find fault in your spouse, but encourage her. And that's a picture of Hebrews three thirteen. Encourage one another today as long as it's called today that no one is caught in the deceitfulness of sin. How are you at encouraging people around you? Love endures all things. Persevere with godly attitudes. Point seven, the husband is the head, the leader of his wife and family in the same way as Christ is the head of the church. Um, You know, I'm going to... Start here. You should not put your wife in a position to be tempted to take over your God-given responsibility. Uh, And I have seen men do it by just failing to lead and therefore putting their wife in a place where they take the leadership. Uh, You are to lead because God has given you the position of leadership in your home. If you have not been a leader in the house, you need to seek your your spouse's forgiveness. You need to talk to her of how you would like to be growing in your leadership in the house. If you have, again, just don't go home and start thinking I've blown it and this is how I'm going to do it. But but start with seeking forgiveness for for she knows what page you have turned to. Uh, lead your wife as Christ led the church by being the decision maker, uh, one that she could submit to. And it takes us to uh, imperative number 26. Uh, you need to be a godly decision maker that seeks wisdom. And, and I use James 5. You, you're to do it in prayer. Seek wisdom from Scripture. That's Psalm 19.24. And Proverbs 19.20 is wisdom from others. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how often when when somebody has just made a glaring error or sin and you ask them, why did you do it? Or what were you thinking when you did that? And they say, well, I really didn't think about it. 
I, I can only imagine, because talking to police officers, I don't even know if there are any here today, but when, when they're arresting somebody, you know, why'd you do it? Uh, I just didn't think about it. Uh, guys, you find your wisdom in prayer, God's word, and other godly people. Uh, seek your wife's counsel before making decisions. I, I, I once sat with a guy that went out and bought a house without his wife looking at it and uh, didn't think anything was wrong with it when she, and was surprised when she really didn't like the house. Uh, we should seek our wife's counsel and input. And that takes you to Imperative 27, and that's Galatians 6, 7. And this is really tied to uh, Imperative 26, which was seeking wisdom. And 27 is, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. Uh, if you are lazy, if you are a pre- procrastinator in your decision-making, uh, you will reap what you sow. Uh, if you are neglectful in making decisions, uh, unfortunately, often you will reap what you sow. And it's a picture of Proverbs 24. If I didn't give this to you, write it down. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. Ecclesiastes 10:18, and, and, and it's the encouragement not to be a slacker. We are to be thoughtful, and we need to be thinking ahead. We need to be taking care of things. And, and the most important thing I could tell you, men, in point number seven is this. We should not put our wives in a position where they are tempted to take over our leadership. We live in an egalitarian society, and, and this takes us to another conviction of this church, is the, the men's role and the women's role in, in the church. Uh, so often we see women rising in in the church because men have just failed to lead. Don't put your wife in that position. Just because maybe there's resistance, you don't feel like dealing with it, we lead because it's the position that God has given us. Eight, the husband is to provide and protect his wife as much in the, much in the same way as Christ provides and protects, protects his chosen ones. You must protect your family, and that's imperative 28. And it's Second Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13, and I'll quickly read that. Because I'm sure you're familiar with it, but you never saw it as, as a, a verse to consider in marriage. But in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear from that there are some among you that are walking irresponsibility, not working at all, but interfering with work of others. Now we command you and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus that quietly working, they may eat their own food. Brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Guys, if you're single, and, uh, you know, Scott is going to be teaching an equipping hour on being a a godly man. Uh, I... This is something you need to be exhibiting as a single man. If you, if you don't exhibit this as a single man, you are not even in a, in a spot prepared to even think about marriage uh, because it is a command from Scripture how you care for your family. So if you're not caring for yourself as a single man, uh, chances to me seem slim that you're going to all of a sudden just step it up. 
So this is a command that applies to all, but uh, it is a command that we are to be diligent workers, guys. First uh, Timothy five eight uh, tells us, "You don't provide for your family; you're worse than an unbeliever." Men, if, if we are not diligent in how, and I realize things come up, but we're talking about being a, a character issue here. We're not talking about just having a hard time down on our luck. We're talking about the type of man that we are by character. Uh, Be a diligent worker. Maybe it's adjusting your lifestyle to your income and learning to be content. Uh, Not pursuing materialistic goals or lusting after what others have. Protecting your family by not being involved in excessive behaviors, excessive work, excessive hobbies. You protect by teaching and by being a good role model. Uh, Be alert by who the friends and companions are that bring influence. Uh, Primarily, we're talking about wife, but this is in every relationship. Are you aware of her friends? Um, protect your family by not enabling or supporting sin of any family member by ignoring evil influences protecting your family from wrong doctrine wrong teaching point nine I told you this was a 30,000 foot flyover guys I'm sorry I hope there's something practical in here for you because there's so much from scripture that commands the type of husbands and the type of men we are. But nine, the husband must provide for her sexual desires in a godly, cherishing way. Uh, and there's a oops here on this line. Understand God's design for intimacy in your marriage. And the uh, imperative is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. It's abstaining from sexual immorality, uh, that you know how to control your own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires. It's understanding God's design for intimacy is an act of giving to your wife rather than receiving. Do you, do you see intimacy as something that is, is God's gift for you to give? Uh, guard your mind. Make purity of thought, attitude, behavior your goal. Develop a biblical view of sexuality. The, the biblical view of sexuality is, is oneness. It's a relationship that, that knits two people together. It is God's gift. If oneness has been lacking from your intimacy, you're probably going to start with seeking forgiveness for, for how you have thought wrongly about what God's design is for intimacy. Point D, don't be controlled by lustful sexual lust that leads to unreasonable demands of your wife. That's the verse to consider is Romans 13, 14. Uh, guys, to have demands for your wife or thoughts for your wife in the area of intimacy 
are probably more fostered by things in our society, things that you've watched, things that you've allowed into your brain, rather than God's word. Uh, we need to repent. We, we need to have... God gave us intimacy in marriage for the oneness in a relationship. And, and our society has made a mess of this. We all have made a mess of this. Uh, and it starts with repenting and, and if you need to seek forgiveness from your wife for the wrong view, or if you need help thinking through what is a biblical view of intimacy in marriage, uh, you know, please come talk to, to me, talk to one of the elders. This is a, a huge issue. I, I cannot tell you the number of times where we may be talking, you know, Ann and I may be talking to a couple about a communication problem. It, it seems it always goes and affects this area, what God designed for oneness, uh, where that has been broken. It, it's going to hinder your communication. It's going to hinder how you t- to deal with issues. Uh, don't be dependent on sex to build your ego. Don't satisfy your sexual lust by, with pornography or other people. It's, it's understanding your body belongs to your wife, and, and the picture of that is 1 Corinthians 7, 4. Understand that God does not want you, you to selfishly deprive your wife. Again, this is about oneness. If there's a lack of unity in your marriage, there's a oneness that God desires in, in our marriages, men. And our society has just made an absolute mess of it. I should say a sinful mess. Point 10, and I'm going to do this in seven minutes. Uh, but if you would have sat down right away when I asked you to, no, I'm just joking. Finally, somebody laughs. Has it been so weighty that nobody's laughed? Uh, point 10, the husband is to be the source of strength and dependability in times of trial, much in the same way as Christ is. In the picture of that is cast your burdens on the Lord, and it's imperative number 30. It's from Psalm 55, 22. You see it in, in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. We need to be an example of men that allow the Lord to be carrying our burdens. We need to be an example of be, being dependent on the Lord to sustain us as a leader in the home. Uh, we need to be dependent on the Lord to be a comfort to others. That's 2 Corinthians uh, 1 4. Uh, C, remaining calm, trusting God's sufficient grace. It's a picture of 2 Corinthians 12 9, where Paul, you know, three times he prayed, and the Lord responds, My grace is sufficient for you. We, we need to model that. We need to be an example of that type of man. Uh, D, it's, it's role modeling thankfulness and contentment, which is 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and in Philippians 4.11. In the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship, we are to be modeling thanksgiving. Uh, e, continue to point your wife to dependency on God. If you are not dependent on the Lord, do you really think that you're, you're leading your wife to be dependent on the Lord? F, bearing her burdens, it's a picture of Galatians 6.2, is you walk with her to help 
grow her in her sanctification. And, and as I was reading my notes this morning, what you have for point 11, I'm going to change that to point 12, because I, I think uh, point 12 needs to uh, really become point 11. Or I should say, I think point 11, I think point 11 should really become how we end this this message. So I'm going to go to 12 and then we'll go back to 11. But the husband is to take leadership in developing a mindset that he and his family exist to serve God's external purposes. It's be hospitable. It's imperative. Uh, number 35, this will make it 34 because we flopped, flopped them. And that's 1 Peter 4, 9, Romans 12, 13. 13, uh, be hospitable to one another without complaining. And I don't want to embarrass this person, but if you want to find out more about hospitality, I would I would encourage you to go talk to Jeff Hantla. Jeff, you are right in front of me. You are a picture of hospitality. I, uh, I am humbled to watch you and how you use your home and how freely you give of your stuff. Uh, practice a lifestyle of hospitality by leading and encouraging and supporting your wife to use your home in ministry. You model and teach your children about using your home for God's purposes. Uh, You are to partner with your wife in creating a home that is a place of welcoming love. And and it's right after the command from 1 Peter 3.7 and that is... The picture of First uh, Peter three eight through twelve, which takes me to back to point eleven. If you left the room, I skipped eleven, made that twelve. Now we're back at eleven. Uh, the husband is to understand his wife and treat her with respect. A husband must live with his wife in an understanding way, and that's an imperative. Is First Peter three seven husbands in the same way? Live with your wife and understand, with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You you need to be sensitive to her, show interest in her opinions and what's important to her. Men, we need to be guys that listen to others. We need to listen to our spouse. Uh be compassionate, be kind. Again, God uses kindness for repentance purposes. And if God may use you in your kindness to help your wife in her repentance, praise God. Uh, point C under understanding your wife is do not be threatened by her, her spiritual gifts, uh, her holiness, her service, but encourage them. Uh, you know, there are a lot of godly women in our church, praise God. And, and I would encourage you as husbands not to be threatened by your wife. If you think you have a wife that is more spiritually mature than you, it is not a call for you to be grumbled or threatened. It's a call for you to step it up. Uh, but but don't be threatened by by your wife's giftedness. Praise God for the giftedness she has. D, seek her help and encouragement in areas where you need grow and change. And here's what that is, guys. If 
you have failed to to lead your wife in prayer. Uh, and I'll, I'll just use prayer as an example. What I would recommend you do is confessing that to your wife and asking her to help you. Uh, I'm from the, the guys that I've met with for years and years and years. I, I picked prayer because that seems to be one thing that most guys will say. I, I just I just don't lead in, in the area of prayer. Start with seeking forgiveness and then then ask your wife, will you help me? Uh, e, be willing to accept admonishment from your wife without being threatened or defensive. Uh, guys, your, your wife is the helper that God has given you. And that doesn't mean that she does chores around the house and that's how she helps you. But she is helping you in your sanctification. Uh, so do not feel threatened if she wants to bring something to your attention. Uh, F, and we're almost done. We're going to make it, guys. Uh, confess your sin, sins to her and be willing to conf- confess your sins to her and be willing to confess your sins to God with her as a witness. You lead by example. And it's a picture of James 5.19, confessing your sin in front of a witness, that, that you will have the, the prayer of your wife. It's a picture of uh, Philippians 4.9. Uh, men, your wives are in a very vulnerable position that uh, if you are not godly, uh, they could be they're just in a vulnerable spot being having to submit and to respect their husbands. Men, I, I can only encourage you, when you sin, confess it to your wife. Seek forgiveness. Allow your wife to be your helper. <clears throat> uh, make a habit of seeking forgiveness. Be understanding by being a good listener. And be understanding by encouraging her daily. And again, it goes back to Hebrews 3.13. Encourage your wife daily that she would not be caught in the deceitfulness of sin. And I took every bit of time that I was given. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to to grab me. I, I hope I didn't fly over so fast that it wasn't practical. I I can tell you, if uh, there was no benefit for any of you, I was very convicted. After 39 years of marriage, I still am growing at this. Let me pray and we'll get out of here. Lord, I praise you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Father, I pray for my friends, for those that aren't married. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would be growing them today just in in area of being a man of how they love others. Father, that they would not wait for the day of marriage to then begin to try to put on the same as the Lord in how you have loved. Father, I, I pray for the singles in our midst, Lord, that they would be growing in these disciplines now. Father, I pray for the husbands here, Lord, that maybe they see where they have sinned and missed the mark that you have for them as a husband. Father, I pray, Lord, that they would 
confess their sin to you because we know you are faithful, you are just, you forgive and you cleanse. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just allow them to be humble to go and seek forgiveness from their wives or their family if necessary for where they have sinned. Father, I pray, Lord, that the time we spent today looking at the 35 imperatives from Scripture, that we would grow in looking more like your Son. And I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.